sir. Driven Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Uh-huh. And with another installment of the dopest podcast in the world, Bear Me Five, Trav. There you go. Word. We got some ill guests in the building uh, today. Special guests. Special, special guests. Facts. Uh, but before we get to the um, the the guest of honor, we got an honorable guest of the building, Bear Me yes, Five, yes, our CMO, yes, co-founder yes, yes. of Driven Society. Two yep. high fives. Natalia Savedo. <laughs> Three high fives? Three high fives. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone! Yeah, that's in the building. Um, nice. You guys have, you know, if you came to events, you've definitely seen her, met her, built with her. Um, we're super happy to have her on the podcast and her sister. Her, and her esteemed, uh, you know, older sister, uh, <laughs> Isabel Savera, immigration attorney extraordinaire. Indeed. Um, welcome. Welcome. And thank welcome, you. Izzy. So, hello, guys. How are you? I'm so honored to be a guest today. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to bringing a interesting, but a little sort of dimming, uh, conversation on what's going on in the immigration world today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, given the, the, the political climate that we have here in America and, you know, you've been fortunate to, you know, apply your skills, not only here, but abroad. Um, you know, Natalia has always told us like about the excellent work that you've done mm -hmm. and, um, you know, has always stressed the importance of sharing this, um, particular narrative and story. So, and even you guys background, you guys story is pretty, um, amazing itself. Like, you know, um, how you guys came here and you guys worked and the whole process you got to, um, in your immigrant story. I think that's one thing that's connected us, um, as a group too. We all have a, you know, a, like first generation in the States. Um, but yeah, I want to, um, first talk about you guys personally, just like, you know, what's your background? Um, tell us a little bit about your story. And Izzy, let me add that, um, one, this is a very special night for me. First of all, because it's my first time co-hosting the Driven Minds podcast. <laughs> so let's give it up for that. <laughs> and two, I feel like, um, this is a culmination of my parents' hard work. So it's just such an honor to get to you know, speak to my sister and for you guys to learn her story um, because it just, it's its something that she's worked so hard to become an immigration attorney. And I got to experience that. And so um, it's its really like, it's a summary of my parents' hard work and my sister's hard work. So for me, it's a special honor to have you on here tonight, Izzy. Well, thank you, Nadi. And you have to give yourself uh, some credit for, for where I am today because you have helped me not only emotionally, but definitely um, as well with all the work that I, I needed um, to do to get where I am today. So I also think that you need some credit for that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Dope. Dope. So let's get into it. Yeah, let's talk about your um your background, Izzy, and um just the whole pro your your story, um you know from your parents and and coming up in uh in the states. Absolutely, and Nati can also feel free uh, to add anything that I might miss. But um, so we went to the United States in 1998, or we moved to the U.S. Uh, we were were originally from Colombia, which is where I'm sitting right now, which is. 
Oh, this is Next. our first I international guest. <laughs> <laughs> I just fell in love with a cubic. Oh, when it came out. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> so while I'm sitting in my in my Bogota home, um, hey. Bogota. I um, just never thought that I would be back here. Uh, but so here I am. But so we moved to the U.S. From Colombia when I was 10 and my sister was about seven mm-hmm. and we moved mostly for economic reasons and because my parents wanted to offer us uh, a better future and an education which they were unable to provide here for us mm-hmm. um, so we went looking for that American dream and fortunately enough my dad started working as a plumber's helper um, and through his company, he was, so back in 2001, there was a law that if you entered the U S whether you entered legally or illegally, um, if you were sponsored by a company and you had some sort of skill, um, they could sponsor you for a working visa. So my dad was able to, so that law ended in 2001 and my dad um, was, we were very lucky to qualify and applied before the law ended. Mm-hmm. And although we we applied, that process took about um, almost eight, yeah, like nine to 10 years oh, wow. to get complete because, because he was a lower skill, he had, as a plumber's, as a plumber's aide, mm-hmm. he was considered um, that he had low skills. So it they 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 so if you had low skills, you were sort of at the at the bottom of the waiting list for a visa. So that visa process took almost ten years to to come up. And what happened was that in that in those ten years, we were you were in limbo. They they didn't provide. We, we weren't provided a work permit or any legal status. So yeah. we were still considered undocumented throughout all those 10 years. So that brings me to about 20 years of age when we finally were approved. And throughout those 10 years, you know, I went to high school um, and I was unable to get a driver's license. And during my junior and senior year, I was exposed to, you know, having, wanting to go to college, but with very limited options, especially financially. Um, And I was lucky enough to find um, sort of like a representative from a SUNY school who, you know, sort of saw that I wanted to go to college, wanted to, I had good grades and everything. And she tried or, and she tried to get me into a SUNY school paying in-state tuition as opposed to out-of-state tuition uh, because a lot of the colleges required undocumented immigrants to pay out-of-state tuition, which just makes it very, very hard um, to come up with so much money. So with my parents' help, they they were able my my dad had two jobs yeah my dad would leave at six o'clock in the morning and we would have dinner with him at like 4 p.m because 
that was like he would just come home for like a 30 minute break like 4 to 4 30 so we would welcome him and we would always have dinner at four o'clock so we could have dinner with him and then um and then he would leave around like 4 45 5 o'clock and go do valet parking and then he would come back at like 11 10 30 11 at night and just repeat 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 mm. yeah Pop and this go. is also i could get in so he could pay uh for in-state tuition at a suny school um so i did my first three years of undergrad um i was undocumented and i and it wasn't until i was about 20 my junior year that we finally were approved uh for documents or our, our green card and I, w- I had really lucky because had I turned 21 um, before my dad's visa got approved, I would have been disqualified from getting a green card myself. So I had I was turning 21 in January and our papers got approved of November of the year prior. And what I started to do was that when I saw that deadline coming up, I started contacting my congressman. And, and I was, and they have, or they, I'm not sure whether they still have this, but back then they had sort of like an immigration person that in special cases, they would try to advocate for some cases, um, that needed like special attention or just needed like a little boost and find out why it was taking so long. And through that lady who worked for the congressman, um our application sort of was prioritized uh, sorry prioritized yeah prioritized and i was able to get my green card but you know i was i was lucky by two months uh i met i made that deadline so throughout college i always debated whether i wanted to be a social worker or an attorney mm-hmm. um and I got, I started to get very involved even through in, in high school, because back then, um, they were, um, they started advocating for the dream act, uh, mm. which we'll talk about it later on, uh, more in depth. But, you know, I, I remember being, um, sort of like a leader in, in, in high school getting petition signs so we could send to the congressmen so they would support the DREAM Act. And I just, I thought that back then, you know, we would see the DREAM Act happen and, and, and become a reality. And even we, we don't have anything right now. Um, but thanks to Obama, which created the executive order for DACA, which is similar, but, mm-hmm what the dream act intends is more sort of a pathway to legalization, which DACA doesn't have. Um, so, um, my junior year, I started studying for the LSATs, not knowing whether I was going to be able to go to law school or not, because as an undocumented uh, person, it back then you couldn't even get your bar, your, your attorney license. Uh, and then, from there, um, I I just I knew then by my junior year that I wanted to become an attorney, mm-hmm. um, just because I felt that as an attorney, I if I knew the law better, sort of um, advocate for that and and have that um, as a tool to to 
help more people. Absolutely. And that's the reason why I, I, I was so determined to become an immigration attorney and help children, mostly children, um, but immigrants in general to sort of, you know, not have to go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. Um, because throughout that process, uh, my sister and I, you know, we experienced several immigration attorneys that, um, didn't sort of took advantage of the situation and the fact that my parents didn't speak English and didn't know the system mm -hmm. and ripped us off. And so <clears throat> I, yeah. I, de I decided that I wanted to be an immigration attorney to, to have, to have Im immigrants not have to go through that, you know, at least have an honest person who's advocating on their behalf, as opposed to someone who is just, um, you know, taking advantage of them. Right. And that's what makes this, um, this podcast episode is even more special is the fact that, you know, you want to help people going through the same process. So right now in this current times, um, this administration and there's so many challenges right now for, people getting their citizenship in America. Can you explain some of the challenges right now that people are going through and um, some ways they can, like, you know, work around it or some ways they can find some type of, like, emotional or or mental um, uh, uh, security, or if there's any? And maybe touch upon, Izzy, like, the different kind of processes, right? Because there's so many different ways to have some sort of security in this country, like temporary protected status. And it depends on what country you come from, and it depends how you enter the country. So if you could break it up a little bit for us. Yeah, so right now I have to admit that it's really hard to be in Colombia and not be able to, to be practicing uh, immigration law. I mean, I... I started um, and with my sister's help. She helped me set up a website, and I'm doing as much as I can from abroad. But, yeah, regarding your question, immigration policy right now is definitely not looking good for, for anyone. Um, um, even legal permanent residents who have green cards you know, are going to face, um, they should be concerned because right now the Trump administration is trying to um, implement, for even for non-legal permanent residents, if you've received any type of um, assistance, like if you get food stamps or if you've got medical, any sort of public assistance, um, there it's it might, you know, if this policy gets approved in the near future, then it's going to be a bar for you to either become a citizen or get a legal permanent residence. Oh. Uh, so this is something that we need to be very careful for those who are not yet legal permanent residents and for those who, you know, are legal permanent residents and want to later get their citizenship, you know, please consult an immigration attorney before applying for any public benefits. And it's even um, if like you got a DUI, right? Like if you get a DUI and you're a permanent resident um, or if you were get caught shoplifting and you're a permanent resident, you can never like, they're just trying to make it impossible for you to become citizens. Yeah. I mean, this is, if you've already, if you have more than one DWI, you know, it's considered a crime of moral turpitude and, and they're just getting so strict and so tough. And, and the people behind Trump, 
creating all these policies. They're completely anti-immigrant. They're, you know, they're, they're just horrible, horrible uh, people who, who just only want to see like the white race in the United States. Uh, so we have to really, um, immigration and immigrants have to become our priority and we need to find a way, you know, even if you're born in the U S we need to find a way to make this our issue as well, you know, because, um, for, for minorities, uh, it's not looking good right now. So, um, two ways that you can get legal status in the U S um, get legal status through family based petitions or employment based petitions. And I mostly focus on family based, um, immigration and, I have a little bit of experience with uh, working visas, but uh, that's really not my terrain or my area of expertise. So um, I know, but but I one thing I know is that with the new Trump administration, they're even creating it harder and are doing more of a vetting process for professionals, you know, who have PhDs and would make our country. Um, you know, so much better. They're even giving them a really hard time for when they're applying for green cards. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that was never really the case before. And now this is becoming even an issue. Like they even want to, not only are, are they targeting, you know, undocumented people, they're targeting, um, le- they're targeting people who are here legally and and are applying for green cards so that's something that really was never really seen before as much mm. uh, um, just really quickly um this is Franz, by the way um you mentioned that while you were in school you started to you know knock on some doors of your own for individuals who are here that have um relatives who don't speak english or Maybe they do speak English, but they're not aware of some of the options that they have to help expedite the process of becoming a citizen or, you know, getting some type of um, documentation that can, you know, get you gainfully employed. What are some avenues that, um, you know, one can assist? Like if you have a relative and you might not be able to like sponsor this person, but um, you, you mentioned like you, you spoke to, you know, your local congressman. What are some other avenues somebody could take to, uh, you know, secure a, uh, um, some type of, um, you know, membership, I guess, to this country? Well, right now the options are limited. Um, so my first, uh, my first advice would be to, you know, accompany that, that family member and, and go to an immigration attorney with them and, and, and see what an immigration offer um, lawyer or attorney has to offer in, in, when it comes to opportunities or, 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 or what they can do, uh, to get, you know, to get their legal status right, right now. Um, I mean, I can talk about some of, some of the issues that we've seen or, or 
some of the things that we've sort of gone backwards after Trump, uh, Trump took office, like before, mm-hmm. you know, if you were, if you're from Haiti and you were, you know, you were a victim of the, of the earthquake, um, you know, and you were, you were here in the U S you were allowed to get temporary protected status, which allowed you to stay in the U S and, and have a working permit while you were here. But now after, after Trump took office, they ended that temporary protected status, uh, for nationals of Haiti. Um, and there's other countries who will also participate um, but who were who after Trump took office were those they no longer exist. And I was listening to an NPR podcast regarding this, and it's pretty much, you know, they they like the um, Department of State went and did studies on whether these nationals should have been taking off from the temporary protected status, and they were clear reasons why the country um, still needed assistance and they just pretty much made up their own decision and said, no, we're actually, even though we think that they should still be here, we're actually going to just end it because we feel like it. Um, wow. So it's pretty bad. It's it's really a really dim time right now for for immigrants and we need to go out there and really um, – start advocating and and really talking to a congressman and and seeing how this issue is not just an immigrant issue it's actually um a national concern for everyone and to um just go back a little bit to um some of the resources that are available um there are a lot of organizations that exist Mm. that's whose sole purpose is to provide relief so there's the new york's uh, immigration coalition you can just go in there and ask questions. Sometimes they have pro bono attorneys um, that can assist you. There is uh, the American Civil Liberties Union. They have their own department for immigration. I feel like the ACLU is a little bit more like they focus on bigger case issues. But it's to say that there are a list of resources. For example, when the whole thing with Texas was happening, um, I was really happy to see that a lot of there was a big list that was being passed around for resources, which I think is going to lead on to uh, the next question. There are projects like the CARA Pro Bono Project, mm-hmm. um, which s- essentially collects resources from different immigration groups, which I'll, I know you'll know this, Izzy, because you used to work there, um, and they'll they'll provide resources like pro bono attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There, there are these kinds of projects. You can also just call your congressman and call your congresswoman. Like, if you don't know, if the person doesn't speak Spanish, it, I mean, doesn't speak English, it goes back to being that resource for that person um, and picking up the call and, I mean, picking up the phone and, and making that call for that person. Uh, because, man, attorneys will just steal your money. Not my sister, but, <laughs> but there are many attorneys out there that are just looking to like say do this so that they can get paid as you know a a big sum of money and then they don't do anything for your case in our case we we had three attorneys steal our money before we had an attorney help us out wow and we also need to be careful because sometimes it's even non-attorneys um who are 
posing as attorneys or legal assistants and are taking advantage of people as well. So we need to be able to report that. Yeah. And um, it's easy. You know, when you walk into an attorney's office, usually like they'll hang their diploma on the wall um, because they want to showcase where their degree is from. And there's an actual can't can't you look up if the if an attorney has um, a bar? Uh, what do you call that? Uh, the license, plane. the license. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. This is all thing that you all things you can verify via the internet which is an amazing tool it's just scary when you're undocumented and you don't know the language yeah. and you don't this understand is something I, always, I i talk to my clients you know like please you know do your homework as well don't just hire me just because you you know you trust me go in on google and find out you know where i went to school and i i love that i love when my when my clients actually sort of take control of their case um you know, and, and, and tell me what to do and how they want something done. I, I, I like that because sometimes, you know, uh, I don't really see that. So it's good. It's good to be informed, especially, you know, absolutely. Can you talk about, uh, some of your time, you know, um, being, uh, being a legal activist in, uh, Texas. Can I, can I share a, a quick story with everyone? Is he, of course. Okay. So, we she gets the job with the Dilly project. What's the name of the project again? The, the, the Cara Cara project. Okay. And she's told she has to move to Texas. So she needs help moving everything down. And she's like, uh, Nati, do you want to take a road trip with me? So we think this is a great time. We enroll one of our male friends because I didn't feel comfortable driving to Texas. <laughs> Just my sister and I. Um, Sandra Bland was killed around that time. And... Um, <coughs> We, we make stops, um, and my sister studied American studies, focusing on um, the civil liberties, so she had a whole list of places where she wanted to stop. I wanted to stop in New Orleans. She wanted to stop at the Selma Bridge, which was, like, super exciting. Um, so we actually took a trip. We stopped in Nashville. We stopped in Selma. We stopped in New Orleans, and then finally we get to Texas, and it's this big ranch where she was staying because the project provides housing for you. Um, so you take it from there, Izzy. Wow. Yeah. Um, so soon after passing the bar, the near bar, I was offered a position as a project attorney um, for the Cara Pro Bono Project, which is a... An, it's not really an organization, but four immigrant organizations um, when women and children started to, you know, when they started to come to the United States and they were being placed in detention, um, they created a project to provide legal, free legal services to the women and children detained at the South Texas Family Residential Center, which is really very similar to the a Japanese internment camp back in the forties. Um, wow. so I thought it was a great opportunity for me to go, you know, um, and, and really learn from some of the best attorneys in the country. And I just said, I, I told my parents about it and my sister and they got really excited and they supported me and I moved to Texas for four months 
um, where I worked from Monday through Saturday, you know, 15 hours a day and sun, um, and Sunday we got to rest until three o'clock when new volunteers came in. So the project was, although they had some staff on the ground, which were permanent, uh, the project is run by, or runs by, um, the volunteer program. Thank you. Volunteers. So every week we had new volunteers, um, a, a group of about 10 to 30 attorneys and non-attorneys um, who came down to help us. So approximately anywhere from 600 to 1,200 women and children were detained. Um, and what year was this again? Because this was still during the Obama administration that you were down there. Yeah, this wow. started... Family separation was a policy started by Obama. Mm. Um, and uh, and if I remember correctly, it was sort of a way to please Republicans because they, you know, they wanted the wall. And he said, well, I'll 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 get harder on security. I'll get tougher on secure on on immigration. So that's why he opened up these these um, I always call them camps. Um these uh, detention centers, right, Izzy? Yeah, and not really they wanted a wall. I mean, I think Obama's, um, Obama wanted to use it as a strategy to show that he was being tough mm. on people trying to come in, so let's actually start a program or, or, or uh, let's try to pass a law that would help immigrants in the United States. But if I remember correctly, it was really just supposed to be like a stopover center where they were really only supposed to stay like for a day or two um, until they were sent to whatever, until they were being like let go to whatever city they were coming here to stay. Yeah. In. So what so what happened is that women and so the women and, and children were claiming that um, they feared to go back to their to their home country because they would be killed. So they were claiming asylum. Um, so they would stay at the detention center until an asylum officer could evaluate their claim and determine whether they had a credible fear. And if they were found to have a credible fear, then they were allowed to stay in the United States and proceed and, and, and proceed with their asylum claim. Is that, has that changed? Is this still, are you still able to make an asylum claim right now? So you can still apply for asylum. However, you know, something that has changed after Trump took policy, well, several things changed regarding asylum. I mean, mm. some women and children who came to the border and claim as asylum legally were actually being turned down and saying, what are you doing here? You know, we don't, we don't do asylum sort of thing. So a lot of people got rejected and that's, you know, that's, um, one thing that changed, uh, but women and children are still being detained, um, in Dili and this detention camp is probably only growing and they will have more. Yeah. Um, and something also that changed, uh, that we can also talk about it a little more is the zero tolerance policy, which is, you know, where the federal authorities separated children from their parents, mm or an adult that they were coming with, um, and they prosecuted the adult, uh, and they sent, so they sent the parents to jail, and they placed the children and infants under the supervision of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, 
Um, and about 2,654 children were separated from their parents. Wow. Um, and, just and, as of, and as of September 13 of this year, there are still 416 children who remain separated, even even weeks after the, a federal judge uh, said that they had to reunite the families. And what is worse about this situation is that it seems that those 416 children, 16 children, will is very likely that they will never be able to reunite with their parents because their parents were either deported from the U.S. Never. Uh, intentionally, or they mistakenly waived their rights to reunifications. Wow. That's yeah. Crazy. Um, so this is definitely something never seen before. Um, and everyone, you know, this is when everyone started donating and, and they was just saying that you just can't do this. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, me, you know, having a really difficult time here in Colombia, going to the United States, asking for asylum and taking my two year old son away from me. And I, if I didn't know the law and I waived that right you know, to be reunified from him and I was deported, he would be in the, he would stay in the U S you know, in, in under the, under, under the supervision of the U S department of health and human services for who knows how long, you know, or I don't even know. It's, it's just incredible. That's heartbreaking. That's reckless, man. I, I wanted to ask you, you, you started to touch on some numbers in terms of, you know, um, like body count in terms of, parents being separated from their children. Can you talk a little bit about the financial play or aspect of this? Because um, somebody's profiting surely off of this and also somebody's losing money, I imagine. So do you, can you touch upon uh, any level of, of, of that part of the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I'll touch uh, the little bit that I know, um, but all this info is out there. Um, you know, this is... A big business, especially for detention centers, because whenever I think they get from the U.S. government approximately like four hundred and sixteen dollars per person a night when someone is detained. Um, So this all the. All the detention facilities and and the jails in the in the U.S. are making sure they do their contribution to mostly Republicans um, who will make sure that it stays this way because they're making a lot of money um, from immigration detention centers because they have quotas that they have to fill uh, at night. And, and, and so this is financially is it's, it definitely works. For the, these corporations, and they're making sure they're investing their money um, with the right Republicans that will make sure they stay in power. So one thing that was crazy for me, I actually went and volunteered for a week um, in Dilly, Texas, and I remember arriving on a Sunday um, and having that first Sunday be a essentially a four-hour. Um, information um meeting of what to expect for the week and i was going to be working monday through friday um i think 
I think Izzy, you and I used to get up at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. We used to have breakfast, get our lunch ready, and then go to the detention centers. And if you can just talk a little bit about what those look like and, and, what, and what was it like being there day in and day out, because I remember you sharing so many stories of like having to fight people in immigration and um, the clients and not being able to see where they slept um, so if you could just talk about, like, just give us a bit of a description of, like, what your days looked like. Yeah, well, yeah, we were definitely up by 5.30. We needed to be at detention center by 7 a.m. Um, and what we did was um, sort of advocate for these women because not only, you know, were they trying to to get their, were they trying to get, out of there, they also, you know, had to face um, huge human rights violations by by the detention center because um, the you know the food that they would get was pretty horrific. They would complain about the food. They would also complain about the medical system while in detention. A lot of them had, you know. You really, really young children. I mean, I saw several moms who were still breastfeeding infants. Um, so because in down the temperature in Dilly, Texas is like 106 on, on average. And, and they would stay in, in, um, in what is it called? Not the, in the, um, trailers so they so they they were they're pretty much huge trailers the detention centers and they would they would have ac but not only that like they before entering the detention center they were they were placed in even worse conditions where they called them yeleras or ice boxes so they would have to stay in like these box in these ice boxes for two nights and then they would be transferred to Dili, um, where the temperature was changed was so drastic. They went from my like, being in literally ice boxes to being in 106 degree weather. Um, so a lot of the children would get really sick and they would get fevers, and the people at the detention center would just tell them. Uh, that they couldn't give them medicine and that they would have to just drink water. With honey, um, but then they wouldn't give them honey. Yeah, you drink water and honey, uh, and that will make you feel better for fevers, you know. And 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 so we would often have to advocate on their behalf and say, wow. this is inhumane. Like, these women and these children are going to die. Um, and And so we would often have to not only be helping them with their with their immigration case we would also be fighting on their behalf to get better medical assistance um so we also you know throughout throughout the day we would get testimonies from them and and try to make comp- and get enough evidence to to make complaints to to like civil civil liberty for like just plain human rights mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean that was the, that um well, sometimes 
we would just have to fight for them to sometimes they wouldn't even allow the, the attorney to be with them when they were being interviewed by ICE. And so we always had to make sure we would fight for the, for the right to counsel. Wow. And it was just like an everyday thing. It was, it felt like I was in the emergency room for doc, like as opposed to doctors, I was in the emergency room for, for, for these women, because if we didn't react, react, to an emergency right away, it meant that someone would be put in an airplane and be deported back to their possible deaths. That's crazy. Um, so, I, yeah. And my question for both of you guys, my last question is, how does somebody, like, I've seen, you know, I've seen the pain this caused. Like, you know what I mean? This is this, this, this situation is, 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 is crazy. It's, it's terrible. How does somebody deal with the emotional trauma, especially somebody in that position of, you know, um, an illegal immigrant trying to work for their citizenship in America? How do you deal with the emotional trauma, the stress that comes with it, not knowing what's going to happen? Is there any advice you could give anybody going through this, this situation? Hmm. That's a really good question, just because just being an advocate for them down there when I was in Dilly, Texas, mm -hmm. I was suffering from post-traumatic, mm. from second, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Sorry. Yeah. There was one night where, so, so my sister and I were like so Colombian and, you know, we used to share, we shared rooms till I don't know how old we were. So when we were staying in this um, ranch, um, not only were we like experiencing horrific things every day, but there was always something that happened in this ranch. I think once we saw like a scorpion or I don't know what. Um, but one of the scariest things for me was one night we were sleeping and my sister just gets up in her sleep and starts talking, but she's sleeping. Mm. And she was like, oh, I still have to do this. I still have to do that. Mm. And I've seen this like. I happened before, but it's only when my sister is like going through something very traumatic, like when my uncle died or something. And I could just tell. And she had only been there for four months. And attorneys don't really last that long in these positions. But so she had gone up on her bed and I had to wake her up and I had to be like, Izzy, are you OK? Um, and for me, one of the most important things, you know, I was only there for a week and I thought this was one of the hardest weeks of my life so much more than anything I've ever gone through. Wow. And, um, and I was really concerned for my sister. I had to be like, yo, you got to go get some therapy after this. Um, because the things that she went through, I only went for them. I only went through them for a week. She went through, she went through them for four months. There are people down there that are going through these things every single day. And like when she was there, what was the longest a mother had been there with her child? Is he? Uh, she was detained for a year, over a year Whoa. and her child was like a teenager. So she was having, I mean, I serious, um, trauma. Jesus. In terms of, in terms of the, uh, representation there for individuals who are helping, what, what does that look like culturally? Well, women and children are definitely, um, some like one of the luckiest populations for, for when it comes in, in terms of getting better representation or not necessarily better, but at least more affordable representation because they get this for free. Um, but in I, terms of like, in terms of the volunteers, like who's showing up to help? Are they, you know, people of, uh, you know, 
um, they're like, yeah, immigrant they're, descent. Are they Caucasian people, black people? Like, what does it I look would, like? I would say it's a good combination of 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 everything. You see, you see corporate attorneys. Um, who are going down there for pro bono, who, who are doing pro bono, like their firm vo- goes and volunteers. So you'll see, you know, like law white, universities, right? Yeah. Law university students. You see, like Latino I know Columbia, see, NYU, they would take like yeah. large groups of, um, of, of you volunteers. See a, co- a, a good combination of blacks, um, Latinos, everyone coming together and, and providing assistance um for 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 the women and children a population that isn't as lucky and it they also have a harder time through that immigration process is you know just the like the fathers or or the males who who come and ask for asylum they're detained for way longer than just 2 weeks on average or anywhere you know they stay there for 6 months or they or even longer until their case or until their cases are are completed, which can take months to years, and they're they're at these detention centers. So the the men um, aren't as lucky as the as the women and children who are released, you know, faster than than the men. Got it. Well, Izzy, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Nat. We appreciate you for coming on the podcast and sharing this information that's needed. Um, we ask all our guests this. Um, Izzy, start with you. Um, what drives you? What keeps you going? Um, why is this 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 movement so close to your heart? Uh, yeah, I mean, what drives me, I want to say, is my desire to help, uh, especially in these times that are so... Man, every day I wake up and I, you know, I hear near my podcast and I'm like, man, where, when is this going to end? You know? Uh, and every day is just, just seems darker and darker. So that's what drives me and, you know, an opportunity to sort of be a light, uh, a light and just know that I need to fight and, and I need to make sure that, uh, I, I do something to change anything as small as it it is, you know? Um, and now I have a son and I'm expecting my second child. So obviously they're a huge force of, of, um, that will drive me because I want to be an example to them. And I want to show them that, you know, we can't just sit still. And in these times we gotta, we gotta make it better. I have to make it better for them. Um, so so yeah, no. What drives me is an opportunity to make the world a place. Nice. Thank you, Izzy. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Where can um somebody uh, look yeah, no, you thank up you to? So much. Where can somebody look you up in case like they might have a question or you know are looking to be pointing in the right direction? Where's a where's some where yeah. they can reach you? I'll be more than happy. So I have a website. It, my website is icsavedralaw.com. And um, in there, they can contact me or they can email me at isabel at icsavedralaw.com. And, 
and I'll be more than willing to, you know, give them any advice that I can or um, guide them to the right place. And especially if you are a DACA recipient or, you know, anything, any legal, any immigration legal question that I can answer, uh, I'll be more than happy. So mostly the best place to contact me would be via, via, via my website. Dope. Like we always say this time, stay driven, stay driven. Yeah.